being in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, it's great to see everyone today. And um, I'm finishing up kind of a series that still, though it's, could, I could be its own standalone. I want to talk about warfare. And let me just clarify it this way. If you've been around here very long, you know that I don't talk about demonic things or spiritual, that kind of much. I'd rather talk about the kingdom of God and talk about the spirit of God as opposed to the other side of things. But knowing that as I began this series, I'm talking about how do we prepare for the last days. And normally we hear people talking about the last days. You're going to hear things out of the book of Revelation, the apocalypse, and how bad things are going to get that way. But Jesus said, when you see these things happen, they're in Matthew 24 and 25, what does he say? Lower your head and get, get upset because it's going to get worse before it gets better. He didn't say that. Look up, rejoice. Look up means to look to him, the author and finisher. Look up and rejoice for your redemption draws nigh. Now the word redemption just doesn't mean salvation. In the full word of redemption, it means to bring back before the fall. So you can have something redeemed, finances, physical health, whatever it might be. I wrote a book out there called Pursue, Overtake, and Recover. And I wanted the title, The Power of Redemption. My, my publicist, who held more, more reign than that, I did, they wanted to put that other title in. Though that's a text of that, but it's really the power of redemption. How do we see things restored, redeemed, brought back to its original plan and the way God sees it for being that way. We have the power of reconciliation, not just to reconcile people, but to reconcile things that God says, I gave you, and now we become a good steward of that. The way we become a good steward is we don't give up on it, but we call those things are not as though they are and is to be, and we call it back into its original place. Before the fall, Adam and Eve lived in paradise. Presence of God was there. They didn't have problems or difficulty hearing the voice of the Lord. They simply lived in, in this overwhelming sense of the awe and the presence of God. They didn't know anything else. It was quite normal and natural and relevant to them. It wasn't until there was another thought introduced into paradise, and you've heard me say before, the word Eden is, means the place of my pleasure and the place of my presence. So the place of his pleasure, not just ours, his pleasure and his presence or the essence of who he is around us. So when we talk about the presence of the Lord, it's the very essence of God that fills a room or an experience or at your house and home, that's the essence that, that you feel a sense of the, that God is here and present. And you, you're responsible for your garden and for your home and what does that. So when that thought was introduced... And it was a simple thought that we still battle to this very day, and that is, did God say? The battle is in the mind. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. There's another book out there called um, The Power of Right Thinking that deals with some of that. But the battle is so intense now more than any other time is because the enemy knows the only access that he can come at us, he can't kill our spirit. The Bible says, fear him that can kill both your body and your spirit, which is the only one, that's God, who can cause our spirit to be separated from him. But he's the only one that can do that. So the access to the enemy, only way he has is through our thoughts primarily. The originality that was the entrance of that thought is till today, the battle is for the thoughts and the minds. I was having a conversation with someone as close to me, and they were saying, I wish I could hear the, hear the Lord much clearly and I said, I can tell you how in, in just a minute. He said, I'm, I got notes. Go, I'm writing now. We say, I said, no, it's not that long. 
I can tell you that you can turn your affection towards the Lord. And at that moment, in the presence of the Lord, Psalm 1611, there's fullness of joy. And when your affection turns to the Lord and you're no longer meditating on the reason why you need to hear God, but you're meditating and thinking of Him and not thinking of all the things that I've got to do right after this, and you disconnect from this world and this life, there's nothing left over but Him. In Him, there is life. In Him, there is joy. In Him, there's fullness. In Him is eternity. So hearing the voice of God is not difficult. It's hearing everything else that's the problem. When you're hearing everything else, hath God said, or maybe you're sensing or feeling or, or feeling something else, then you're at a conflict and a controversy. And it is the idea of confusion, means a fusion of more than one thought coming in there. Where there is confusion, James says, there is every evil or demonic work of that. So part of what I want to share, and, and, and I'm going to move on to something a little brighter. Uh, don't like talking about warfare, but it's a very real thing. I began this saying that the gifts of the Spirit are not just for Sunday morning and for what we're doing here on a Sunday morning. The gifts of the Holy Spirit were given to you as the church. The church isn't this one that comes in this building, but your home, wherever you are, wherever you are, there he is. Your house, his house is in you. Wherever you go, supermarket, wherever you are, the presence of God is there looking for a place to manifest or just leak out on someone. But if we have a narrow view of how the Holy Spirit works, then we, we have to wait for a time and place for it to happen. The whole issue with the Samaritan woman in John 4 was, tell me, which mountain do we worship in? Gerizim, you know, Samaria, or in, in uh, Mount Zion in Jerusalem? And Jesus said, neither one. The time is coming, you worship the Father in spirit. So Wherever his spirit is, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So we're saying to have liberty, one must be able to say the recognize that wherever you are at that moment, he wants to have access or have a voice from that. We have, so we have to disconnect ourselves from just a Western world type church, have to wait till Sunday. No, Sunday's every day, if that's the way you want to see it. Every time that he has a breaking out through your life, and someone has encountered that, you have overcome something. Every time you overcome something, you are given a greater authority by what you just overcame. Jesus overcame because of what he did, not just because he was there in the beginning. He came, destroyed death, hell, and the grave by giving himself to death and so that we might have life. The law of liberty in Christ Jesus, the anointed one, has set us free from the law of sin and death. There's a law at stake here. Not just law meaning the Mosaic law, but the law of liberty is at conflict with the law of sin and death. The law of liberty operates within our mind just like the law of sin and death is. And whoever and whatever we feed becomes the greater power. For instance, if you threw scraps out the back door, which we don't do that these days, but if you lived out in the country where I grew up and there's stray animals running around everywhere, you threw scraps out the back door from leftover food and don't be surprised if that same dog or critter shows up the next day because you've set a precedent for feeding them. So whatever we're feeding and we feed by giving attention to or have giving a sense of feeling to, then we have now empowered that thing. Part of our warfare, it would be much easier 
if we could just line the, the, the physical, whatever the enemy is, and let's just duke it out. Let's go out behind the church and settle this thing right here. It would be much easier, but when the, law, when the, the, the battle is going on inside, it's not as easy. It would be easier to train someone hand-to-hand -hand combat than it is to train them quit thinking. Quit thinking. But we can train people to know how to disconnect from what you're thinking about and think on them. And Philippians says, think on these things. So part of the warfare, sounds very strange, because we're used to training people in warfare, we're hearing this, of having certain names that you shout at the devil and call him names. I can tell you that doesn't work. I will share this morning about warfare that really works. In fact, that's the title of it, warfare that really works. And that is the, that realizing that what Jesus had spoken to us and how he dealt with it, and there in Matthew, the third, fourth chapter, and goes right into the next chapter, when he's led by the Spirit after his baptism, you've heard me say, and his identity was challenged very first thing by the, by the devil, and he says, uh, if you're the son of God, in other words, I want you to prove who you are. You don't have to prove who you are. Jesus has already proven who he is. When you get into a battle, the devil wants you to prove how good you are or who you are, and you don't have to prove that at all. If you try to do that, then you've taken the bait. And then you start doing through works and having work harder and being more, and I'm, I never might measure up to somebody else and continually. But when you come back to that point, it is written. When Jesus said it is written, he's not talking about the New Testament, obviously, but he's talking about it is written. Two ways you can look at it scholarly. That Jesus, the Son of God, before he was Jesus here, he was there in the beginning, and when things were created, God said... He spoke to whatever he wanted something to be created from, to this dirt or substance, even to himself. Let there be light. He was speaking to himself. And the very light and radiation of God just explodes out of him. That was before he ever created the sun, the moon, and the stars. That was in chapter 3. So before those were created, he spoke to himself. So when understanding that he, he speaks to those things. So when he said, it is written, Jesus could have very well said, I was there in the beginning before everything was on, anything was on paper. I was there in the beginning when the Father said this in the beginning. Jesus also was telling his disciples, while you were out ministering, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Well, where were you at? I didn't see that. Well, yeah, he was. Because God sees things not in terms of our time, chronology. He sees things in terms of outside of time. Anon is the word, A-E-N-O-N, means time with head. There is no time outside of time. So he sees things outside of time and it doesn't have to have a a one two three step it's simply it was said and the earth came into existence because he said he spoke it in the same way that the enemy knows that we are created in the likeness of god and the word likeness or image is the word teslem if you've been in in toby quirk's class power of imagination you'd probably pick up on that one of the words, imagination or image, is the word teslem, meaning thoughts, the thoughts of God. So the thoughts of God are given to us that we can battle the thoughts of darkness. The enemy knows that we were created from his image and his who he is. So what does he do? He comes in the antithesis or the anti-image to give us an alternative thought that God would say. Hath God said. In other words, to question the word of God, maybe this word works for everybody else, theologically, but doesn't work for me.
And when he does that, then we have been suppressed underneath that and we've lost a battle. In fact, for a lot of people, they, there's no more fighting because they've accepted defeat. So when we look at the whole idea of the battle being won or lost inside of us, then how much more do we need to understand how that we can connect with God? And I'll back to my thought I had with my person I was close to. I said, if you can turn off the spigot of the cares of life and of this world and of any thought that has gone on before you that said something negative, fearful, or about you that cursed you, then you can enter in in just a moment with the Lord. You turn your affection. But when you are thinking about all of the negative and the fear and what might happen, or you're cursing someone else, or you're calling someone else trash, or calling somebody else names, or saying this or that and the other, then the fact is you are now in agreement with another spirit, and you've lost the battle. Because Satan can't, doesn't cast out Satan. Light destroys darkness. So when we're operating in darkness, saying things that God didn't say out of our own anger or self-worth or opinion, then what we're saying is, I am in more in agreement with darkness than I am with light, then I've lost the battle. If you're battling, it means the fact is that you're not defeated and you're closer to seeing victory than ever before. Once you break through and win this battle going on in the thoughts and minds, then you have eliminated a big part of the, the work of the enemy, and you recognize it for what it is, and you quickly respond to that. I remember during the Gulf War, General Schwarzkopf, and he's the first one that used this term that I ever thought of, said, we're fighting for the hearts and minds of the people. Hearts and minds of the people. In other words, we got to let these people know that we're here, loving them, care for them, we're here to set them free. In the same work of that battle, God is battling in our behalf for our for our heart and our thoughts. Hearts meaning our emotions, seat of emotions, not this pump, blood pump. So with that, he says, I'm battling for the thoughts and who, who you're going to listen to and your emotions and who you're going to give you those, those to. It is so crucial even in marriage because in marriages, it is a microcosm of God in the church. In fact, Paul even says that talking about Ephesians 5. And yet Paul talked about something he never, he never experienced. So he didn't get it experientially about marriage. Thank God for that. His advice came because he was in the third heaven, we believe, and he said, I was up there and I heard God say something, basically. And with that, it means that one of the greatest, greatest strongholds against marriage is thoughts. To misunderstand is the opposite of understand. Husbands, dwell with your wife according to understanding. So understanding means I don't have to understand her as a person. I just need to understand God who created her. So when we misunderstand, I'm choosing an alternate thought outside of God as to what God wants me to think, and then I, I start the battle then. And that kind of thing going on. And the enemy, can, if he can divide a household... He's divided two, the two shall become one, and they're powerful. So now you've splintered them, and they become two. I'll get into a moment how that works. So when I'm, I'm going to talk about Ephesians 6, I don't know that I fully ever liked even talking about the, the armor of God, because I, I've never really, I felt heard a legitimate case for the armor of God. It's in the Bible, so I know it's there. I've heard all kinds of illustrations. I've even seen them to where they put up here and say it's a typical Roman soldier, and that's true. 
And Paul was referring to that, you know, you're putting on this, putting on that, and all that. But the difference is, we're no longer fighting a physical war that I need a, you know, a bulletproof vest, and I need something to cover the outside of me. I understand the spiritual connection with that, but I've got to also realize, how do I take what is the natural and make it supernatural? How do I move it from the outside to the inside? Because the battle is no longer on the outside, fought with bullets and guns. I mean, we still have that war. Jesus said in John 18, verse 36, he said, my kingdom's not of this world, or you would see my servants wanting to fight here. When we fight here, it's because we're not fighting for the kingdom of God, we're fighting for this territory of this ground for now. But to fight in a higher realm of the spirit, he said, you know, his kingdom is not of this realm, but it's where his sovereignty and his throne is. So in order to win this battle, as he said to John in, in Revelation, come up hither and I'll show you, and John sees the door open. So to win these battles for the hearts and minds of your children, the hearts and minds of your grandchildren, the hearts and minds of everybody associated around us, we have to know how to do this, not just on Sunday morning, but every day of the week at all times and have discerning of spirits. One of the, the, the gifts of the spirit is discerning of spirits. And it's not just only about discerning evil spirits. Sometimes it's, e it's easier to discern an evil spirit than to discern our own spirit. Uh, I don't thought of that. And I tell you, well, Jesus was, remember the, the sons of thunder, those guys? The Lord, we're just going to call, let us call fire down out of heaven right now. We'll just call fire out. And I've even believed God for that once, once or twice myself, especially in traffic. He has not answered that prayer, thankfully. But what did Jesus answer back then? You do not know what spirit you're of. Could we be of a, a spirit, doesn't mean that we're demon-possessed, but we're being motivated, oppressed, or even perspective-wise, another spirit. And so he said, you don't know what spirit you're of because there are unintended, unintended consequences that we don't understand. For instance, if I would say something to someone here, and I was upset with anger at you, something, and I said it, and I didn't think about the effect it would have, unintended consequences, and I got it off my chest. I walk away and I forget about it, but you're carrying it for a long, long, long time after that. You're responsible for what we do to other people. Well, I, you know, that's their problem. No, it's not. The Bible says that we are, we are responsible, we're judged for every idle word. Now, the word idle there doesn't mean I just said it offhandedly. The word argos, A-R-G-O-S, is the word for idle, and it means every unproductive word. So in essence, he's saying, I've given you words of life and spirit, and they are productive. They're going to reproduce the fruit of the spirit. They're going to reproduce after him. But if I'm saying something in, an, in another spirit, it's argos, it is called idle. Idle just means I, I was thinking I'm in idle mode right now. I'm not going to say it, but I'm feeling it. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, you said something that didn't reproduce after the Spirit of God, and you're responsible, accountable for that. So in order to win this battle, we go back to, we have to realize that our words are either connecting us to either battlefield, one of those battlefields, one or the other. And by contrast, he, he talks about uh, that we have the mind of Christ. So he says, I here's... I've given you the ability that you can have the mind of Christ. And Jesus makes a statement in John, John 14, said that the prince of this world comes 
that he will find nothing in me. And we find, you've heard me say, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, the soldiers come in and they couldn't take Jesus. And he said, I am he, and they kept falling down. There was nothing as a frequency that was in Jesus that resonated with them. So when I talk about the armor of God, it is, about, it is the closest thing to the point of agreement. Put on the whole armor of God, or we could also say put on the agreement with God. Because agreement there, Amos the third chapter, verse three says, how can any two walk together unless they are agreed? Now agreed, even in husband and wife, doesn't mean that I, I'm saying you're right and I'm wrong. The word agreed there means to have the same sound, to be in line with. I can, we can disagree about logistics, but we're agreeing with what God said. If God said this, then I have to agree with him, and it's not about agreeing with one another. Endeavoring, he says in, in Ephesians, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. Not about keeping unity with one another, which that's a good thing to do, but it's the unity of the Holy Spirit. If we're not in unity, in union, frequency-wise, of the Holy Spirit, then we have, we've allowed ourselves to be very vulnerable to the enemy and we begin to be assaulted emotionally, mentally, and every other which way. And it can have a physical, it can have an outward effect. But I want us to see, first of all, and you turn with Ephesians 6, that's the, the prelude to it. And you recognize that um, all of this would say today, this armor is on the inside so don't get tricked up in saying, well, it's got to be put on like this and that. That was an outward thing. The Roman soldiers, they put it on that way. And Paul was giving us a picture, but it moved from the outside to the inside. I've always, and I've been praying over this a long time. I just didn't see a practical way of taking something that was outside. How does it help us on the inside? Because if there's bruises on the inside, there may not be bruises on the outside. If I'm covered on the outside, I'm fine. But there's bruises that take place on the inside, wounds that take place on the inside, and we can make a case for Jesus' uh, being brutalized and beaten and all that on the cross for he was bruised for our iniquity, our transgressions, something like that. So if it's on the inside, how do I keep from doing that? Because there are people I tell you sitting here that you're wounded and beat up on the inside, but all the while you, you're smiling on the outside. I get that. And I'm not saying you should wear everything on the outside and say, the devil had a good day with me, look at me. But how do we operate in such a way if we're going to step out in the kingdom of God and see the miracles and signs and wonders manifested to know that we have, we have protection? Part, I think it's, it's a little bit of a myth, you, it's your opinion on what you won't feel like that, is that if I do something for the kingdom of God, I'm going to pay for it by the devil. If I'm operating in the kingdom of God then what kind of leader or general or commander would, would he be if, he, if I did something for him then he left me out vulnerable and got whipped for it? Sometimes people use that as a sign as I'm doing something good, look how I got beat up. I don't think that's a sign and a wonder. I wonder why he took on it. But it could very well be the Lord is training us to know how we can hit the front lines, push back the gates of hell, and be able to walk through it without being touched by it. They walked through the flood, they weren't overcome. They walked through the fire, they weren't burned. There's a place of walking with the Lord where we're not taking those kind of hits. I don't know that I'm fully there yet, but I'm, I'm going to be there and I'm going to learn from that point. So 
How do we move from the, what's outside that the Paul talks about to the inside? And I want to I look at that and, uh, and how we break that down a little bit. All right, let me quickly just read this as a springboard. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, not willpower. There is the spirit of God that has to be involved there. Put on the whole or complete armor of God. Let me just say, if you went back many, many centuries ago, the word armor was not in existence, but the word glory was put in for armor because glory was the word translated kavad. We get weightiness or weight from. So if the blacksmith was making you armor, he would say, what is the weightiness or what is the glory of your armor? So in other words, if you're carrying the glory of God, then that in itself is the armor. So you're saying, I want to I, I build this, this armor to the level that you can withstand the weightiness of his glory. I'll not put anything upon you, this is what Paul said, I'll not put any more upon you than what you can bear. And I know we use that for scripture for other things. But I think also he will not put any more of himself upon us than what we can stand. Because when Moses was there before God, I want to see your glory. And he said, you can't see my glory. You don't understand how the weightiness of that ought to be. So I have to place you in another position that you can see the glory, my goodness, after it passes by, but I can't fully put that on you. So the armor of God, you'll see in just a minute, is related to the weightiness of God. Not just from a theological position, from literally the presence of God being upon us where the devil can't find you there. And there's many places in scripture where they talk about God hid them away, hid them in caves, hid them so the enemy couldn't find them, and yet they, they had the hand of God or the weightiness of the Lord. I think that's where he's wanting to take the church in his last days. He's going to hide us away while we're, as David was there in Ziklag, going out and fighting the Philistines and coming back and having a place. Going out and fighting and doing warfare and then coming back and feeling safe. So the place of warfare is understanding that we can do the work of the kingdom of God without fear that the enemy is going to come and hit us. So with that understanding, I want to re you know, release a fear knowing that uh, I can, we can talk about the things in the kingdom of God without the devil you know, having access to it because we're covered with the armor of God or covered with the glory of God. All right, let me get into this. Otherwise, I'll end up preaching about glory. Uh, verse 11, put all the whole armor of God complete that you may be able to stand, not buckling under the weight of that, but stand against the wiles of the devil. That is an offense, or excuse me, that's a defensive position right there. We'll get into the offensive position that way. There's, in military, there's rules of engagement. In other words, in some places, not very good. You've got to be fired at before you can fire back. Well, with God, the rules of engagement simple. Wherever darkness is, you can tear that thing down. Where darkness exists, his grace, his light is greater than that. So you have, for this reason, the Son of Man was manifested, 1 John 3, 8, to destroy the works of the devil. You are called to destroy the works of the devil. That is your rules of engagement. Wherever you find the works of the devil, you are called to tack that. It could be in Walmart, seeing someone sick and hurting there, you're drawn to them, and you go and you do the work of the Lord by ministering, administering, praying over them. And by doing that, you are now involved in the army of God. The rules of engagement are on you. You have a rank to do that. All right. I could spend time about that too. Uh, verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities and powers. So he's talking about right off the mat, where we don't wrestle against the natural. Whatever you see is not your, your warfare. Your husband and your wife is not your enemy. If you can see them, they're not your enemy. They may be used as a sounding, but that's not, that's not your enemy. You go up higher level and deal with that position and that principality or that spirit, and then you can deal with the lower issues. What you see going on in Washington, D.C., and all the people you see on television and, and all of the, the politicians and all that, I'm telling you, they are not very high-ranked. If you can see them, they are not very high-ranked. They don't have that much authority. They will talk a big game, and they may make money for it, but they are as a spiritual dominion that's higher than them. They're simply being controlled by a puppeteer that's of another realm. Simply as that. So when you feel the urge to throw something at the TV, then just recognize your TV is not your enemy, and whoever's speaking there, they are just such a little devil. They're not that high ranking with them. So we wrestle against the principalities and powers for that. And it's a fight for freedom. It's the word pale, it's the word wrestle, and it, and it, it, means, it means completely different than what we, it's the only time we see it in scripture is the word pale, which has the idea to bring into, do it for freedom. In other words, you're fighting for the freedom. There's a cause that we go into that, moving ahead with that. All right, let me move on with this. Um, stand therefore, verse 14, stand therefore having girded your waist. We quickly, I want to run through these because I don't spend a lot of time. The word truth, aletheia, the manifested reality, the way God sees it. Having girded around you, one translation says the area of procreation. <laughs> we are to procreate. That doesn't mean have more children. If you, need, if you want to have them, go for it. I was, I was someone standing, I was not too long ago and I was in a place and they said, I just want to give this testimony. Pastor Kerry was here a few years ago, laid hands on us and he couldn't get pregnant and now I'm pregnant. And I want to thank him for getting us pregnant. <laughs> and I said, we need to qualify that just a little bit. So I got up and, and shared, no, said, no, I, I didn't get you pregnant. No. Procreation, pro means to advance. Creation means to take what God has given us, the words of life and spirit, to create and recreate. And so he said, I've given you for the ability to procreate. So in order for any of that to happen, you've got to have truth. You can operate in your own opinion or what you think is truth, and nothing happens. When you operate in the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit, the manifested reality the way God sees, and Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come, he will guide you into all truth, he will speak of, not of himself, but speak of, not of you either. He will speak of what Jesus said to him. So the spirit of truth is what Jesus has already said, and we operate in that truth there. Okay. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but anyway, standing against the evil day, and stand therefore having your waist, your procreation, uh, girded with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, you're right with him. We just simply say is righteousness on the inside of you is a trust issue knowing that that he is able to keep everything I've committed to him to the last even up to the last days. Whatever the devil would use against you as a past experience of something that you did in the past and you're having trouble getting free from and you, though you've asked forgiveness that righteousness means he overcomes what the devil has been saying to you and about you and against you 
because it's wearing a right where right over the breastplate or the heart or the emotions. The devil knows us better than what we think, even what we know ourselves. And he will try to get to your emotions and do that instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to say something in contrast or conquest back to your emotions. Your emotions can be a, a place where the enemy works havoc to. Well, that's just my nature. Well, we need to get into what the nature of God is, that we have been partakers of the divine nature of God and not just classing ourselves into nature. Let me just throw this out there. I know that there's a lot of psychology that, you know, could be even Christian thrown out there and said, well, my personality is this, my personality is that, my personality is this, and we class one another, all these kind of things. But when we start classifying ourselves, we, we lower ourselves down to something that, ever, that some psychologist that, you know, talked to a you know, thousand people and decided that you're now this, you're now that, or you're something else. Instead of, we start as one thinks in his heart, so he becomes alike. So if God wants to deliver me out of that, and they say, well, your personality will never, never, you know, change. Well, he can, he can deliver us from the negative part of that personality nature. So when we come to that point of saying, well, this is who I am. No, it's not who you are. You've been born again, not with corruptible speed, speed, seed, seed of speed, not with corruptible speed. I'll take that as well. Right? I'll take that right now. But the incorruptible word of God. So allow the word of God to define who you are instead of somebody telling you your pronoun or telling you what you should feel or what you should be today, that the kingdom of God is not full of a bunch of woke people but we're awakened to the Spirit of God and we realize that the power in the kingdom of God is in us and greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So we need to allow that the greater one inside of us becomes causing us to say, this is who you are, not what everybody else around thinks about. When you, when you all start responding and acting by what somebody else says about you or to you, then what you're saying is they have a greater value than what God says. I believe them more than I believe God. Or I believe the thoughts and the intents the devil puts there more than I believe God. And I'm, it, it is a battle. It's continually a battle. But it's one where you got to win for the sake of everybody that's around you and invested with you. Your children, family, every place. Lay hands on your children and bless them and speak over them. You have the mind of Christ. And continually help wash over them with the washing of the water of the word. So understanding of that, is that we have an identity in the Lord that's not based on what somebody else defined us as. If that was true, then I wouldn't be standing up here today. I had plenty of things, plenty of people, a lot of ideas and thoughts were sent to me and said to me that I, I should not even be doing what I'm doing. Maybe that's stubbornness, I don't know. Here's the rest of this quickly. Um, put on the breastplate of righteous to having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I'm going to take just a, a little bit to, to dive into really what this peace is because peace is so powerful, it's not, it's not just the idea that I'm a, uh, the lack of something going turmoil. Peace and war are not, are not opposite in the Bible anyway. The word peace is irene, and it, it literally means this. It's not the absence of trouble, obviously, but binding together what once was splintered. That's reconciliation. The Prince of Peace has come to bring us together that we were separate from God. So that's one, one under meaning, meaning for that. Uh, means also to come under the power or the pressure of another. Now here's the, the difficult with. Arene means something that was divided. 
And the idea is that there was a bone that was splintered and means I'm not at peace. I'm incomplete. When the bone is brought back to heal and it becomes one, that's at the point of peace. So when he says, I, I put peace on your feet, could have put peace on our head, but I put peace on your feet because you have to stand on what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself. If I don't stand on truth, what's happening is I will be splintered and whatever somebody comes along and says, I'm just at their, their whim and their feelings and will, whatever happens in the day. So he's talking about the peace of God means to take and bring together wholeness that was splintered, arena. So it's not an emotion. Peace in the, in the biblical sense doesn't mean that, you know, we're, I feel good about it. That's happiness. It's not an emotion. Peace is a spirit. Jesus is the prince of peace. The devil, according to John 8, 44, is a liar, the father of lies, and has from the very beginning of time, not in heaven because time began here when he's cast out of heaven, so he is the father of division or taking and stopping, splintering your vision. Whatever your vision for your, your family and for your life is, the enemy comes and said, you really think that's going to happen? He's created a vision. And the more you work to try to gain that, that identity back, it means the fact, I'm not trusting God. I'm trying to do it on myself. myself. I do it by works. And every, when you're operating in works, you will operate in anger every time. The harder you try in the natural, you'll become angry. you become angry at people because they didn't do it the way you thought they should and should have been this way and could have been that way. And you become angry at them. The peacemaker is not a Colt 45. <laughs> I think it was called the peacemaker. But the peacemaker was Jesus. And it's not about having peace at any price. We are not the peacemakers. When he said his disciples went out, you come into a house, if that house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. So how do you have peace? Is because the one who gave me peace, who took a splintered world and brought it together and set that bone, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, spirit of his spirit, then now we become one. And so peace means I am not divided. We're in a, we're in, our nation is a divided nation. And because of that division, we see in the last day, Scripture says that when the spirit of Antichrist comes, he's going to take these, when these creatures come, they're going to take peace from the earth, third from the earth, take peace from the earth. It means the fact we're going to be so disjointed and we'll set up because we need something or someone to come and make peace. And that's when we'll buy into that spirit of Antichrist because he will be one who gives a pseudo sense of peace. So when we operate in the, Having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel as peace means I'm no longer splintered. I'm no longer sitting on two sides, on the left, right. That's not a political statement. But I have a divided heart and mind. When we have a heart mind that's divided, it's called schiza is the word. And he says a double-minded man or person will not receive anything from the Lord. So if we're double-minded, we're not going to be able to receive what we've been asking and praying for. When we don't see answered prayer, I have to look at the first thing is discern my own spirit. Do I have a double-minded? I think God can, but I, you know, this is happening. I think God will, but I, this is happening. And so we give up on just saying, get behind me, devil. As Jesus said, and he's talking to Peter, you do not have a taste or you savor the things of God. He discerned what was going on with Peter, though he did not rebuke Peter the person, but he rebuked the spirit that was using Peter. And we have to have, make that distinction. Okay. All right, let me finish on through this. Um, so when you, when you feel like disconnected, disjointed, and there's no peace there, it's not hard to get in peace, 
Because the peace is not what's happening around. You can't get people to be at peace with you that don't want to be at peace with you. So peace is not whatever's happening around. Peace is an eternalized spirit of Christ. He, the Prince of Peace. Jesus said, John 14, my peace I give you, not as the world gives you. So he makes a distinction of two different kinds of peace. Irene is an internal sense of what he's already done. He came and destroyed the works of the enemy and so I can have peace. reason you go to war is so you can have peace. But that peace didn't happen on the external. So if you're, you're bothered about having peace on the outside, then first of all, peace begins on the inside and breaks to the outside. So if you don't have peace going on your house, begin to let the peace of God rule inside of you and then let it break out on the outside and the environment becomes peaceful because we're operating in peaceful. I can't tell everybody to be at peace and you know, we're running around you know, totally upset and divided. It starts with those who have authority and that peace, let your peace come upon this house. It is an impartation of the Spirit of God because it's who He is. All right. Let's finish the rest of this and I'll move on. Verse 16, above all, above all, after all that, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you were able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. That fiery darts we can find in Isaiah talks about the fiery darts or the cockatrice eggs that break out their thoughts. The fiery darts are the thoughts of the enemy. Quenching the fiery darts. Now, the word shield of faith, the word shield is not this metal plate that, the, that a Roman would hold up there. We have that picture of shield. That's not a shield at all. The word thurah, T-H-O-O-R-A-H, means in the shape or the door. So he'd say, and take the doorway. Stand in the doorway and resist everything that comes in the doorway because that's where the fiery darts of the enemy is going to come. We have three, three doorways. Eyes, obviously, what you see begins to affect what we think. Our ears, what we hear, begins, that's the doorway. Our mouth is a doorway. Well, how's that? Because whatever we're saying out allows there to be an open access for the enemy. If I'm cursing, it comes in cursing. Let me just say, part of, part of the, the nature of the enemy that he will get people to whining. It didn't work out the way I want it to, so I'm just going to not do it anymore. I'm just going to. You know, when I was a kid, I thought that was the power that I had. I didn't know it. Subliminally, I thought the power I had was to whine. So I, I remember telling my parents, I, there's something that didn't go the way I wanted it to. It didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen. And it didn't, you know, wasn't what made me feel good. So I said to them, I am running away from home. Nobody even looked at me, paid attention. I said, <clears throat> I'm running away from home. My mother was busy, everybody's busy, and my older brother said, see you later. <laughs> now I have a room to all to myself. So I, in order to prove that, I had to pick up my stuff and leave home. So I gathered together a brown paper bag that had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in it and a pair of socks. I have no idea. I think because the socks were the only thing that would fit in the peanut or fit in with that paper sack. Just to let them know, I've, I've moved everything out. I took my pair of socks. I walked about, and I know how far it is to this day. I know where it was. I can go back to my hometown. I walked a mile and I crawled up underneath an overpass bridge 
And I sat there and I thought, oh man, this running away from home is long. And I would have gone 30 minutes. They didn't even know I was gone. It was five o'clock in the evening. I was up there and saying, I'm going to show them they're going to miss me because things will not be at home the same way and they will not benefit from because I am not there. I thought I was indispensable. Probably whatever time it was, a little after five, my dad was driving home from work and I was underneath this, you've seen those concrete where it goes up, they call it riprap because he, he used to he built those. And I was sitting underneath this overpass bridge, and I could hear the car, boom, 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 go by. And all of a sudden, my dad came off that highway and turned, made a left turn. And for whatever reason, he looks up there and sees me. He passes by and backs up, and he said, Carrie? Yeah. Well, they finally know where I'm at. They're going, hey, what are you doing up there? So I ran away from home. He said, you did? How's it working for you? <laughs> well... You know, he said, how come you run away from home? Nobody, nobody gave me attention and recognized that I was doing, I was an important part to this family. He said, get in the car. I was getting so hungry by then, I already eaten my jelly sandwich, you know, 30 minutes into this trip, and get in the car, and went there. You know what? My dad never said a word to me. He never scolded me. I got out and went in, and nobody even knew that I was gone. One of the ways that the enemy works on our mind is to get us to thinking, it's whining. I don't know. I don't know if there's a Greek word for whining. I'm sure there is somewhere. Whining means I'm just going to show them because someone said something and did something that I don't like. Let me tell you, if whining had an effect on me today, I would not be standing here because there would be a sense where the enemy could use it against me. I had to have that breaking more and more that time. Whatever we overcome, we're empowered to break through it. Do not be a whiner in the kingdom of God. It doesn't work with him, and it doesn't work with a lot of people. Because you, when you break through that, you've destroyed one of the areas of the gates that the enemy likes to use. So when he talks about, and taking the shield, the doorway, that doorway, eyes, ears, or mouth, is how the enemy, notice it says, and above all, take. In other words, above all, in other words, it's more than, than the gospel of peace, more than the belt of truth. Well, above all, because if you don't guard the door and the enemy gets inside the house, it's a harder to deal with him inside the house than outside. And we'll get into that real quick. Look with me in Romans, the 13th chapter. Oh, the last one is the, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Most of us heard things preached there. The helmet of salvation is not salvation for eternity, although, I mean, on our mind that I have the security, though everybody, you know, abandons me, nobody likes me, nobody cares, I have salvation. I have eternity. Connect with eternity and not connect with the little foxes that come and nibble on the vine from time to time. There's times that I've had to literally go into that place and say, well, they can't eat me, at least in this country, and, but I have eternity, kingdom of God. All right. Remember the Romans, the 13th chapter, I'm gonna have to run. Um, verse 11, do this, knowing 
the, high, the time now is, the word is horizon for time, meaning like you'd see horizon, the right timing is the word. Now is the right time to awake out of sleep. That doesn't mean, you know, four o'clock in the morning. That means I'm just not aware of it. My, my spiritual being is not, not being quickened. I'm not being quickened. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, because darkness is simply that word which means deceptive, to blind, or to deceive. The kingdom of darkness is all about deceiving and making you feel, see, or feel something, or think something that's not there. That's darkness. Hang on to that. Skoza. So he says to them in verse uh, 12, Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, the working of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. So, I mean, light means revelation. Light means the glory of God. We're to put that on. So instead of trying to figure out a physical armor, we're putting on a spiritual armor on the inside of us, allowing the Spirit of God to come from the inside out. So we should live life from the inside out, not from the outside in. If you live life from the outside, whatever's that's seen in the tangible realm of our senses, and we don't live from the inside, it will literally begin to, to crush. But greater is he that's within us, 1 John 4, means the inside becomes greater than the pressure on the outside, and we explode instead of imploding. Implodes means the pressure from the outside. Exploding means pressure from the inside out. So when we say the anointing breaks the yoke, that is from the, the pressure or the fatness on the inside pushes the outside and breaks the yoke. So when the enemy comes in, comma, the Spirit of the Lord raises a standard. What is the standard of God is always the Word of God. It's always what he's saying. So the battle is, which one am I going to give a greater value and believe? Well, we easily say, well, I, I believe God. But why is the battle so much so hath God said or put out just enough truth to confuse us to say maybe in this situation condition. Recently, I heard this testimony Wednesday night. You saw the, the videos of Love Indeed, and we were fi uh, feeding uh, every, as we do every year. For 35 years, we've had food ministry, but it's really not a food ministry. It is the kingdom of God, gospel ministry. We give food out of that because the poor have the gospel preached to them. So one of the guys were telling me, he said, uh, there was a, there's a man that comes around and gets food, and he's part of what's been happening down in the square a few times where the, I don't know what to call it, pay, it's pagan religion. They go down there with crystals and all this kind of stuff. And he, so he said, I've been going down there loving on this guy and inviting him to love indeed. He's still not a believer. The best he's been able to get him to recognize is there's, maybe there's other ways to God. Well, the Bible said Jesus is the way, the only way. And so anyway, this guy came to him and said, I have uh, stage, and he's going to the doctor that day, and they're testing me to see if I'm stage three or stage four for cancer. I think it was liver. And he said, well, let me just pray for you. And his mind is like, oh, okay. Well, he prayed for him. This is a couple of weeks ago. And he came last Wednesday night, and he said, we went in to get tested to see where the cancer has been advanced. And the doctor says, I can't find any cancer in you. <laughs> But had he had the attitude is, 
you old pagan thing. I can't believe what you've done. And to shout things at them and call them names. That's not warfare. That's stupidity. Warfare is when you start tearing down the thing, the spirit that controls his mind, that makes him believe that God doesn't love him, people don't love me, and I'm an outcast from society. And so when he changed his thinking, now what does God do? A miracle showed up, and God does signs and wonders and miracles because of mercy and compassion, but also is the fact to show that he's God and he's loving. I mean, this guy knew, and the doctor realized that he was treating him you know, ongoing for something that he couldn't do anything about and probably is going to end up being palliative care, but God did it with miraculous care. Because when we operate in the kingdom of God and have the warfare on, our mind is clear. We begin to think differently. We can believe God for things supernaturally, not though we just read it and we tell it to somebody else, but then we don't ourselves live in it. It is the power of God that brings people into salvation. So armor of light, put on verse 14. Let us walk properly, as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife, because those things have the effect of against us, but instead put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the armor of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory means inside of you is the hope of glory. Lucifer lost the glory in heaven. He was cast down from the, as a throne room, cherubim over the sights and sounds of the glory of God in heaven. He was cast out of that throne room into a planet of darkness. And he knows how powerful the glory is. So when he sees you, he sees one who's carrying the glory of God. Your greatest weapon is the armor or the glory of God. But I, I can't be cursing, can't have a foul mouth, and everything it says right here and believe that the Lord is going to you know, protect me. What I'm saying is I've stepped outside of the armor. That was a choice I made. And if I get hit, then I have to recognize, oh, that doesn't work. Well, no, you're outside of what God says is who he is, his nature. The fruit of the Spirit is, Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentle, meekness, kindness. Probably left one or two out there. Huh? Faithfulness, yeah, faith. All of that is the very is the fruit, meaning the result of allowing the Holy Spirit to be greater inside of you. We can speak in tongues and love doing that, but also we need to speak the fruit of the Spirit, which is the very nature of the Spirit of God that pushes back the gates of hell. And so once we carry carriers of that, then we're putting on an armor, not just in our mind, you know, going physically and putting it on and putting it on and doing this kind of, I've seen Christians do all that kind of thing, but it doesn't work. But Christ is the armor. He's the one who destroyed the works of the devil at the very beginning of time. If the devil knew it, he wouldn't have certainly crucified him. Let me finish up with this. Ephesians 3. I'll finish up, but I'm not done. Ephesians 3, verse 16. The Lord would grant you, I'm just paraphrasing partials of it, grant you the riches of his glory. We grant you all the riches of his glory. Riches there is translated influence. It has nothing to do with money. Kingdom of God doesn't operate on money, but it operates in glory. And the glory is influence. If you want influence in the spirit realm, then understand how to allow the glory of God to cover you and be upon you, and you'll find favor there every time. Here's the next part of that. That you would be strengthened in the inner man. That's where the armor is, the inner man. Strengthen in the inner man that he would do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or 
Think. Think according to the power that works inside of you. The power that works inside of you is the power of God or the power of the enemy. One of those two powers, panamas, exousia, both of them power and authority, works inside of us. Whichever one of those powers that we submit to means we are greatly more empowered from that. If I'm continually complaining, nothing works for me, nothing good is good for me, and this world, you know, is, is just against me, and it is. But when the power that works within you, you begin to recognize it from God's vantage point and saying, well, they did it to me, they're going to do it to you, but rejoice for your redemption is at nigh. And so we begin to see it differently, and we are coated on the inside with the glory of God and the armor of God, and the, and the armor of God makes us well within the range where the enemy can't touch you. Remember the story, and I don't have time to get in, when the sons of God, Elohim, these are all the fallen demons, angels, come before God. Well, I don't understand why God did it. I'm not God, but he does. And he said, where have you been? Oh, I've been going up to and fro around the earth, looking, you know, checking things out and seeing who will. Devil goes around as a lion, seeking whom he may devour. How does that happen? He's looking for someone that doesn't have on the armor that he can chew on and get a good dinner from. <laughs> Devil's food. And he says to him, have you thought about my servant Job? Thanks, God. And he said, you know what? I know about Job, but we couldn't even get to him. You have built a hedge around Job in such a way that we can't even penetrate that. For whatever reason, God sees the end from the beginning and he knows how to get the biggest bang from the buck. And he said, just, I'll just lift the hedge. And it, Job went through all of that, got boils and lost his family. Everything was taken from him. I mean, it was by standard, we'd say, God, what are you, why are you punishing me? Just go ahead and kill me. But the end result, he had this testimony that Job never charged God foolishly and blamed him for it. And the end result was Job got more than he ever had before because God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him that stay connected and consistently pursuing him, not just a sidekick or a temporary thing or just a weekend warrior, but he consistently pursuing after the presence of God. And they have that testimony. Now, I would like to have that testimony that, hey, I couldn't get to carry but I don't know what God, you know, test that, those boundaries. Test and see. But if it had, then you can keep the right perspective. God knows the end from the beginning and something good's gonna happen out of this and I'm trusting him. Because at some point when we go through times of testing, it either turns into the glory of God or we get stuck in darkness. Because darkness is the deceptive reality that nothing's gonna good happen. And then I find, gotta figure this out myself and citizen God, though you slay me, yet I'll still praise you. No matter what, I'm still I'm going to do this. I'm still going to trust you in all that and see the kingdom of God come. All right. Stand with me, what, please? There's a real powerful verse in Isaiah 59 that it's, it's actually a messianic prophecy. Isaiah's prophesying and it says that he, Messiah, doesn't use the word Messiah, but we know who he's talking about. 
that he looked for an intercessor, someone would, who would go and restore the separation between God and man. I'm paraphrasing. And he looked and he saw that there was none. And it's so that he said he put on, start talking about, he put on his armor, Messiah, put on his armor to go and be the one to bring the peacemaker, separation between God and man. What was splintered, he brought back together. If you've ever felt distant and separated from God, knowing the fact is, he said, even if you make your, your bed in hell, David said, I know you're going to be there. Recognize that God never leaves us. Now, we can venture off and be away from him and not honoring him fully with what he's called us to be and do, to be a steward of giftings and callings and all that. But know that he's never forsaken us, but the enemy wants us to feel that way. He wants us to feel abandoned. He wants us to feel that nobody is paying attention to you even when you run away from home. And makes us feel this outsider or outlier. But then the peace of God comes and rules. And he said, I want to restore you to the family of God. I want to restore you. Because everything you've been hearing up to this point is a lie. Lies always operate in darkness and deceptive. But the truth always brings us closer to the Lord. Truth is what God says. Lie is what the devil says. If you've ever had a vain imagination, I'm sure they got, brought this out in the class about imagination. Vain imagination, though we have a godly imagination at the very beginning, after the fall, then we began a, a pornographic imagination, a vain imagination, you know, imaginations of just self. The devil wants to give us another imagination outside of the thoughts of God, outside of the image of God. And he will start giving you pictures in your thoughts and minds of what it looks like. Years ago, I was ministering to a person and they said, I cannot get this image out of my mind. I'm laying in a casket. Thinking, what have I done to deserve this? And I opened my eyes and looking around and nobody has come to my funeral. So I'm asking, Lord, what is the discernment here? What are you trying to say? Do they feel unloved, feel uncared for, blaming you? I said, if it's about falling in the grave, I can tell you about that. You can get free of that real quick. So I began to realize that somewhere in her as a childhood, she had heard in her family that you will die a premature death because you had so many in your family do that. She bought into the generational lie. Just like a person can buy in the idea, I came from a family that was impoverished and so this is just who we are and how we are. Let me just throw out, poverty is not the lack of anything, it's the fear of losing what you do have. So we can have a poverty mindset over relationships, a poverty mindset over anything in life. So when I be, heard the Holy Spirit saying, tell her I'm in charge of life and death and I say, you will live and not die, which is a verse of scripture. And I break the spirit of death off of you of this mindset. Then secondly was that nobody cared whether she lived or died. That was the whole thing. 
And she had the same thought was thrown out by some friends and they were just at a party and, and the, she was trying to speak up. And, and, somebody said, and someone said to her, oh, nobody cares what you have to say. We don't even care if you live or die. That was maybe said in jest, but that word stuck with inside of her that became a tormenting spirit for many years to come. So you, can you see why we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Because she, all she knew was this is going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And then the gifts of the Holy Spirit said, let me break this down and discern. It's not God's will that any should perish. And the tormenting spirit is of the devil, torments us. So recognize that's not God. He wants you to live and, and show forth his glory, not die and nobody shows up. So she began to get healed of that because saying, you know when they said that? is because they weren't sent from God and the de demonology, if you will, against them spoke through them and said that to them because they knew one day that you would come to greatness and that would be the thing that would keep you holding you back, holding you back, holding you back. So you wouldn't move forward because if I do, that's gonna kill me. She was afraid that the devil, if she ever did anything for God, the devil would come and put her in that casket. I said, I want you to see yourself in that casket right now. I said, okay. I said, you see? Yeah, yeah, I see it. She explained it. Described the casket and what she was wearing, everything in detail. And I said to her, Tabitha, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, get out of that casket. Rise up and live and not die and fulfill the purpose of God all the days of your life. For I sent my son and his blood's there and he shut the casket. You can't even get back in that. His name is above all names. So therefore, live according to his name and not according to what some name somebody else said to you. In Jesus' name, be set free. The last I heard, she's free and fine and moving on with God. One word from the devil did God say can put you in defeat and put you in destruction but we have to overcome it I love what Diane always says me she said when you hear the enemy roar you run to the roar because if you start running that that thing will chase you down if you've ever run from a dog that's a bad dog you take off and run that dog will chase you he may not even know what he's chasing you all know is you're running and he's going to chase you and we can allow the enemy to be the one roaring. If you have ever experienced what I just described and feel like that there's a death thing on your life, whether that's physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is, then first of all, or the fact is I can't prosper, I'll never get beyond this, or something good happens, all of a sudden, bam, it falls apart. Right when it looks like I get favor, then all of a sudden it falls apart. It's because God will not allow you to go beyond your capacity to receive Him. He will not share His glory with another. You can't, you can't control His glory, but you get to wear it. So if that's you, I just want you to stick your hand up in the air right now. We're going to pray. Father, we declare on earth as it already is in heaven the power and the nature of who you are, God, that you delivered us from the law of sin and death. And what the enemy has said and done and deceived right now, we sever it at the very, at the very root, the headship of that thing that brought life. At that very moment that brought life, that I gave into it and believed it and said it and meditated on it. 
because that's exactly what it is. Meditation on something causes it to grow. If I'm meditating on what the enemy said, I've given life to it. If I start meditating on what God says, then I've given life to the Spirit of God. So I separate that from you right now. The fear of never becoming successful, the fear of being angry at someone who has kept you back or held you back and use that for an excuse. Always blame. Blame is in the garden at the very fallen nature and you can't get past that. Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the devil and the glory departed. If you're blaming someone, it means the glory's not there. When the glory's there, you don't blame. You see everything through the eyes of God. So I release you from hell. I release you from that tormenting spirit. I speak over you the words of life and spirit that comes from the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He himself has sent his word, 107, Psalms 107, and healed you. His angels, Psalms 103.20, responds at the voice of his word. Whatever voice you're hearing is causing a response. The voice of his word or the voice of the enemy. Give your ear to what the Lord is saying and shut your ear, shut one of the gates to what, the, what somebody else or the enemy is saying. In the name of Jesus, I release the healing virtue of Jesus to be healed in your spirit. Death cannot have claim you. It has no dominion and power. Only what you give to it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The ministry comes.